Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you for tuning in. Our desire is to unleash a family of healthy disciple makers in Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. All right. This is a turkey sermon right here after eating turkey. Um, Let me do a quick recap as we have been going through the series, You Have a Gift. Um, The first week, we talked about the purpose of spiritual gifts, and that is to be a benefit to all people, all right? That God gives us the spirit of gifts by the manifestation of the Holy Spirit so that they might be a benefit to all. Secondly, second week, we talked about that spiritual gifts are interdependent. That means we cannot effectively be the body of Christ unless we as a body are using our gifts together. Last week, I talked about that the greatest spiritual gift of all is love. That if we're going to use our spiritual gifts, then love has to be the avenue by which we go about doing it. This week, I'm talking about tongues and prophecy. It's okay. It's going to be okay, all right? Um, Because I think tongues and prophecy is not as hard as we think. And I think oftentimes what has happened is that there's been abuse, there has been a misusing or a misunderstanding of what tongues and prophecy is all about. And so I think Paul is going to clear up that truth for us today. So let me pray and then jump into this. Eternal Father, have your way as we open up your word and proclaim your truth. We came in here with all type of things on our minds, on our hearts, and we just pray, Father God, in this moment that we will hear a word from heaven that will remind us that you see us, hear us, know all about us, even when the text is on tongues and prophecy, you still have a word for us. We love you and we trust you. It's in Jesus Christ's name that I pray. Let all the saints say, amen. Uh, A bodybuilder was asked, what do you do with all these muscles? And the bodybuilder looked at the person and says, I can show you better than I can tell you. And he begins to flex. (laughs) The person who asked him the question said, that's impressive. But let me ask you again, what do you do with all these muscles? The bodybuilder looked at him and said, I discipline myself to work out eight hours a day. I have a 5,000 calorie diet that I strictly abide to, and I sleep eight hours a day so that I can pose and look good. Another question was proposed not to a bodybuilder, but to a fitness instructor. And he says, what do you do with all these muscles? The fitness instructor said, let me show you. And the fitness instructor took the person to a room filled with people. 
And he said, do you see that person in the corner over there? I helped that person lose 300 pounds, and all of their vitals are now normal. He said, do you see that person right there? Their goal was to put on 20 pounds of muscle and to also have a body fat percentage of 7%. I helped them too. He said, you see the person that's leading the class right now? They wanted to be the, you know, champion of CrossFit. I helped them attain that. They got third place, but now they know what the goal is. And so every Wednesday and every Friday, they come and lead the class. He says, but what do you do with all these muscles? The fitness instructor says, I work out three times a day. I have a strict diet of 3,000 calories. I sleep six hours so that I can get up every day to train all these people. My question that I want to propose to us today is, what do you do with your spiritual gifts? Right? What do you do with the gifts that God has given you? If I'm honest, there are some people in the church, they are like the bodybuilder. That the only thing that we do with our spiritual gifts is develop ourselves. The only thing that we do with our spiritual gifts is to make sure that our status and our influence around the community that we are a part of is recognized. But then there are some people in the group who are like the fitness instructor. Where you work out, you develop yourself spiritually, but you do it to the benefit of other people. Paul is about to make a very strong argument about spiritual gifts and that spiritual gifts are used not to build yourself up, but they are used to build up other people. In fact, Paul will argue in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1 through 25, that the church is supposed to be a, a, a body of spiritually healthy fitness instructors that are encouraging and strengthening and leading people to spiritual health. Now, I know that this idea that he is about to make this point, he's about to use tongues and prophecy to show this spiritual point. Now, I know, like I said earlier, some of us have been abused. Some of us have seen the spiritual gifts misused. Some of us have even misunderstood what the scripture says about spiritual gifts when it comes to tongues and prophecy. And I want to start with this. I empathize with you on that. When I was 19, like I told you, I had put my faith in Jesus. And I had an uncle who used to do Bible study for the Wagner family because we were so jacked up. And I remember going to him and telling him, hey, I have put my trust in Jesus. And the first words that came out of his mouth was, do you speak in tongues? I had no idea what tongues were or what they were all about. I said, no, I don't, I don't speak in tongues, but I did put my trust in Jesus. I believe that he died, that he was buried, and he rose again, and now I'm so on fire for Christ. And he replied to me, well, he, he, he'll save you one day. Just wait on the speaking in tongues. 
So I can empathize that if you have experienced abuse or trauma from um, the lack of spiritual gifts being taught correctly, but can I ask you to do one thing? Trust that God is in control. My hope is that by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, my explanation of 1 Corinthians 14 will bring clarity and healing to those who have experienced this trauma. For Paul is about to call us to something very, very great. He's about to call us to something that's going to go against our individualism, that's going to go against our self-seeking reality in the Western church. He's going to call us to prioritize the spiritual gifts that build up the church. To be exact, He's going to ask us to prioritize prophecy. Prioritize prophecy. Now, before I jump into this text, I need to give some context. And the reason why I think context is important is because if I am up here speaking and you are trying to figure out what I mean when I say prophecy and what I mean when I say tongues or what interpretation that is going to be very hard for you to understand what Paul is communicating. So let me give some context. Let me give the setting. Let me give a definition of prophecy. And let me give a definition of tongues. Here's the setting. The setting that Paul is talking about is a public gathering. He is teaching us how to use tongues and prophecy when we come together as a body. The setting is public. It is not private. The setting is, what do you do if someone was to begin to speak out in tongues here? What would you do if somebody comes up to you and says, I have a prophetic message to you? Paul says, I want to give you the keys, the secrets, and the truth of how we are supposed to function with those two gifts here in the body of Christ. That's the first thing. The second thing is definition. Sometimes telling you what a definition is not gives you a clear definition of what a definition is. So I want to tell you what prophecy is not, and it should be on the screen. Prophecy is not based on a hunch, a supposition, an inference, an educated guess, or a sanctified wisdom. Prophecy is not based on your personal insight, intuition, or illumination. Prophecy is not exclusive to men or sons, but also include women and daughters. Just go back to Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 21. Prophecy's primary function is not prediction of future. People can't see into your future, Right? Secondly, it does not replace or contradict Scripture, but is examined by the Scripture according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 19-22. I'll come back to that later. Here's what prophecy is. Prophecy is a verbal gift given to humans to report a divine revelation of God to build up the church. So when you hear me use the word prophecy, I am extracting what I have learned from Paul 
I'm extracting what I have learned from Luke. I'm extracting what I have learned in the scriptures to tell you what it is not and to tell you what it is. All right. Here's the second thing. Tongues. Tongues is not a sign of God's special love. It is not a sign of a heightened maturity in Christ. It is not a sign of superior zeal or commitment. It is not a sign that one has more of the Holy Spirit than others. It is not a sign that takes over the consciousness of the believer. No. Tongues is a verbal gift given to humans to build up themselves through prayer, worship, giving thanks, or speaking in a language other than their own to speak of the mighty works of God. See, oftentimes when we think about tongues, we think it's, oh man, it's showing that you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is inside. No, that's, that's not how tongues is used throughout the Scripture. The tongues have been used as an unknown language, if you go all the way back to Acts, to speak of the mighty works of God. When those persons heard the disciples speaking in their native language, they weren't exalting themselves. They were exalting the mighty works of God. But secondly, Paul says that tongues is a language that is unknown to us, but it is known to God. Does that give you some parameters? That when you enter into this text, try to avoid using the trauma that you have experienced throughout the ages through the church and begin to ask God to give you a clear anointing. God, what does your text say? Not my tradition. Not, not what I have experienced, because that's one of the reasons that some of us do not believe in spiritual gifts, because we say things like, I have not experienced that. I have not seen that. In fact, one of the great theologians, um, Wayne Grudem, anybody read Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology? I used to teach it all the time. Well, Wayne Grudem used to be a person who did not believe in the gifts of tongues. And so one day he was on a sabbatical, a year-long sabbatical. You can read his systematic theology. He was on a year-long sabbatical, and he went to this church. Now, he didn't like their theology. He didn't like their music, but he did like how they loved on him and his wife. And so he's sitting in the congregation, listening to the preacher preach, and all of a sudden he feels this, this rumbling. He says, oh, no. Uh-uh, and he starts speaking in tongues. And so he had to go back and begin to rewrite some of the things he used to say. Why? Because his experience had changed. His experience has changed. See, some of the reasons why we do not hold to spiritual gifts, especially in the West, is because we have not experienced. But do not allow your experience to dictate what God can do and what God will do. Mm. Spiritual gifts, this is what it means by tongues. So now Paul jumps into the text, and he gives us two commands, right? Not just one command, but he gives us two commands in verse 1 when he says, pursue love. This is a continuation of chapter 13. 
He says, when you read chapter 14, make sure that you're still hitched to love. Because remember, this agape love is about the building up of others, not just the building up of you. He says, pursue love. The second command he gives is desire spiritual gifts. The word desire here means to seek earnestly, to seek actively, to seek continuously. I didn't know you can seek spiritual gifts until I read this. I didn't know you can ask and and, and stand before God. God, I need help in using this gift to bring about your mission. Paul says, yeah, pursue love, seek spiritual gifts, and then he gives you a purpose clause. He gives you a clause that tells you why. What is the purpose of seeking spiritual gifts? He said, especially so that you might prophesy. Especially so that you might receive a word from God so that you might use it for his mission. He said, seek prophecy. Now the question we have to ask ourselves is, why is Paul calling the believers then and us now to earnestly seek prophecy? Didn't we learn last week that the, no one has every gift, but all of us have some gifts? Didn't he say in the scriptures last week that, hey, you might have this gift, and you might have this gift, and you might have... Why is he telling all of us to seek prophecy? I explain it as we go through the text. But to answer this question, Paul uses a contrast. And he uses the contrast of tongues to heighten the the superiority of why prophecy matters. And so here's the first truth that I think you need to understand. Tongues is an unintelligible speech understood by God and only builds up the speaker. Tongues is the bodybuilder of the text, right? Tongues is the one who flex outwardly but inwardly don't want to help nobody else. Tongues is the one when you ask somebody to spot you in the gym, they're like, nah, I already got this exercise to do. I can't help you out, right? (laughs) You're getting it now, right? He says tongues is this unintelligible speech only understood by God, and it does not build up no one but the speaker. Look at verses 2 and 4. It says, for the person who speaks in tongues is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Verse 4, the person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up. This is a reflexive pronoun, right? Flex, body, okay, no, it didn't work, right? This is a reflexive, it is a reflexive pronoun, though. It's, It's corny grammar, but it didn't work. All right. When you look at this passage, here's the thing that I don't want you to forget as you enter into it. I don't want you to forget that the gift of tongues is God's idea, not man. Like you don't want to enter into this text thinking that this is something that is not of God and that man 
can manufacture it or manipulate it any way that they want to. No, remember, the Bible teaches us that it is the will of the Spirit who gives gifts. So don't detach that true that God is the one who gave the gifts of tongue. Here's the other thing that I think Paul wants us to extract from this text. The first thing he teaches us is that tongues are directed or addressed to God, not man. This is a hard truth that I had to come with, to grips with because oftentimes when we think of tongues, we immediately think, oh man, this is, this is something I'm going to share with somebody. Nope. Even if you go back to Acts 2, when the Spirit of God fell upon the disciples to give them power to be the witness of Jesus, the text literally says that what they heard was the mighty things of God. Tongues is God-centered, not man-centered. Tongues is designed to make much of God, not make much of us. Now, we're going to learn something about some because edification is a real thing. But the first thing he wants us to understand is that tongues are directed or addressed to God, not man. Here's the second thing. No one in the church understands tongues. That's what Paul said. Paul said, this is not a language that we just walk around and be like, hey, man, that was, that was a good rhyme that you said. Nope. He says there's a disconnect. There's this unintelligible language that is not going forth for everyone, but only for the speaker. He says the speaker speaks in mysteries given to them by God. Oftentimes when the word mystery is used, it is talking about the revelation of Christ. What Christ has done, what Christ is doing, how Christ is moving. Once again, this ain't about you. It is for you, but it's not about you. It is about the mission and the work of Christ. And then finally, tongues only builds up the speaker. That those who have this gift of tongues are bringing edification to themselves, enlightenment to themselves. Now, I, I know this is a question that I wanted to ask when I learned this, and I'm sure some of you all might be asking the same question. Is self-edifying or building up of oneself, is that wrong? Like, is that an issue? And the answer is no. Right? We study the Bible, we pray, we read books, we listen to sermons to do what? Edify ourselves. In fact, Paul is not saying that the gift of speaking in tongues is wrong. For he says in verses 14 and 18, for if I pray in a tongue, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul isn't downgrading tongues. Paul is not looking down on tongues. What he is saying is that if the end result, the end goal is you building up yourself, then you are no better than the bodybuilder. And it is only about you, or as some people say, me, myself, and I. 
what is Paul's primary concern with tongues? And the answer is simple. It doesn't build anyone up. It doesn't strengthen anyone. It doesn't encourage the public, the corporate body. Look at what he says in verses 14 and 17. In verses 14, he says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit. I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praises with the spirit, and I will also sing praises with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen? At your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying, for you may very well be given thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Paul's issue is it ain't making nobody else better. Paul's issue is it's not edifying no one else. One of the worst feelings as a freshman in college is not to receive help from the upperclassmen. That's a terrible feeling, right? You go there, you don't know where the buildings are, you don't know where the classrooms are, you don't know how to hook up, and then you ask the upperclassman who's been there for years, find it yourself, freshman. That's what they did when you pl- I played football. That's what the whole freshman hazing is all about, to make you feel the pain and the stuff that they went through when they were freshmen. I'm like, dude, why do I have to go through what you went through if you can just tell me? I would tell y'all a terrible story, but I can't. <laughs> it's being recorded. Ask me afterwards, I'll tell you about it, right? Paul says the issue is, is, is that it doesn't build up. That's why he says in verse 13 that we need an interpreter. We need an interpreter. The reason why we need an interpreter hitched to the gift of tongues is so that those who are listening, those who are hearing, might get an understanding, right? Might be included might be able to say amen and shout with you as they are hearing the mighty things of God. (laughs) He says, to the one who is speaking in tongues, pray for an interpreter. Now, the text is not clear whether he's telling the person who's speaking to pray for interpretation or somebody on the outside to pray for an interpreter or be an interpreter. But both of those things are plausible. But Paul says, my emphasis is, if you're going to do this in a public setting, make sure somebody understands what you're saying. And what we're going to learn next week is, and if not, be silent. Be silent. I know this is a hard truth, but I think it can help some of us navigate through the trauma that we have experienced if we would just read the text and just read what he has said and what the scriptures have said so that when somebody is sitting there, let me teach you how to speak in tongues, you're sitting there like, no, no, bruh. I'm not trying to beat up any um, denomination, but I remember those those Terry rooms. You in there for 10 hours. Just repeat after me. Just repeat after after me. 
And all of a sudden, they're sitting there like, man, I don't feel like I have enough faith. And they walk away from the faith because they don't believe that God is calling them. It's dangerous to use tongues in a way that God says, I don't even use it in that manner. All right? In fact, here's the danger. The danger of practicing tongues in a manner that's disconnected from the scripture, disconnected from an interpreter, could lead outsiders and unbelievers away from the faith. Look at verse 23. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders, that can be somebody who's a believer or somebody who's just visiting, or unbeliever comes in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? They're no longer exalting God for his mighty works. Now they're looking at you and saying, if that's the God that you serve, I don't want no part of it. And then it begins to devalue the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And all of a sudden they say, man, I I don't want to do that. Or they begin to relate to us as if we're like every other pagan religion. Where in the Greco-Roman world, they used to do stuff like that. They'd be like, you just like every other religion, so why would I even join this? Paul says, why should we choose Why should we prioritize prophecy first? It is because it builds up the church. Paul says prioritize prophecy for it builds up the church. Choose the gifts because I think it's even broader than prophecy. I think prophecy in tongues is a case study, right, to show you the edification. So I think he's even talking about all gifts that are used to build up. He says, choose, prioritize the gifts that, are, that brings unity, that brings collaboration, that brings understanding. He says, choose these gifts. I want to highlight three things in the passage, in verse 3, in verse 4, and verse 25. In verse 3, he says, on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to the people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consoling them. In verse 4, he says, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Last verse, 25, the secrets of the heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down, and notice, worship God. Worship God. I know there's a burning question before I unpack all those scriptures. I know there's a burning question for most of us, and and we ask these questions, can anyone prophesy? Can anyone have the gift of prophecy? The answer to that question is yes, but, right? Yes, but, yes, any believer could prophesy, But all believers will not function consistently, nor have the gift of prophecy, but you can participate in that revelation or that manifestation. You see, Paul's desire is that we have prophecy, 
but it is not his expectation. See, when he says, I wish all of you, the, the Greek word there is wish, desire, take pleasure. But all of us can participate in the gift of prophecy when the Spirit of God brings it upon us. Let me, let me put it like this. Anybody ask, ask the Spirit, like, man, give me a word to say to this situation. Give me a word to say to this, this person. And all of a sudden, God gives you the word. Now, you know, man, prophecy ain't my primary gift, but all of a sudden, God gave me this great word to say. And you know it's not your words because they don't worship you, they worship God. You know it's not your word because they don't exalt you, they exalt the king. Paul says prioritize prophecy. Why? Because it builds up. Right? It is the spiritual fitness structure of the church. Right? It builds up. It brings understanding. It brings unity. And at times, it even brings salvation. So where do you start? Right, where do you start when it comes to prophecy? Well, listen to the text. You start by seeking the voice of God in the scripture. Remember, prophecy is not disconnected from scripture, although it may be an enhancement, but it's not disconnected from scripture. So where do you start to train yourself to listen to the word of God? Now, I know some of y'all, y'all listen to the sermon. God bless you. I hope it's impacting you because in your mind, you already are thinking, Pastor, didn't you say last week that spiritual gifts are partial? Didn't you say last week that spiritual gifts are imperfect? That spiritual gifts will not have its full capacity until the perfected one or Jesus comes back? Well, if that's the case, then you are suggesting that we can get prophecy wrong, that we can misinterpret things, that we can say some things that are not consistent with Scripture. Is God wrong? No. But we are imperfect. So the reason why I say start with Scripture is because you have to train your mind, train your heart so that you might be prepared to discern thus Say the Lord God. That's why Joseph, when, when, when they came back to Joseph and said, man, I got this dream. Can you interpret dreams? Joseph said, I don't interpret dreams. God does. <laughs> right? That's when, when Daniel heard of the king's dream, once again, his vision, he says, I don't interpret dreams. God does. We have to get to a point when we're using the gift of prophecy, understand our, understand our imperfection so that when we are discerning truth, discerning vision, discerning dreams, we say, this is what God has uh, helped me to process through, not myself. I am scared to give you advice without the scripture. I'm not that smart. I'm not that wise. You don't want to hear what Jerry Wagner has to say. It is oftentimes physical. <laughs> like, bro, what did you do, man? Let's knuckle up. No, no, don't know. You don't want to hear what I have to say, but you do want to hear what God has to say. Why? Because it is about the person being built up, not you. Not you. 
So I would say that we start with seeking the voice of God so that we might discern truth. Here's another question I think we get oftentimes when we talk about prophecy. Because we are prone towards mistakes, then how do we guard ourselves from being deceived or given a false prophecy? How do we guard ourselves against those things? I want to give you a quote, then a scripture. This quote was given by Sam Storm. He says, the most urgent need for prophetic ministries today isn't the ability to hear God's voice with great clarity, but the most urgent need is a church that is theological, literate, and sufficiently familiar with the Bible that it can effectively judge, evaluate both the source and the meaning of dreams, vision, and subjective impressions. He's one of the, one of the only ways to guard yourself from false uh, prophecy or, or, or giving a false truth. You know how some people come up to you and say, God told me. No. Be careful, right? Be careful. God might reveal. Uh, God might give. God might uh, manifest this truth, right? But he says the way to protect yourself is open your Bible. One of, the, one of the issues with the Western church today is that we have all these translations and nobody can't remember no scripture. We have all this Bible, but ain't nobody being obedient. Sometimes we say things that God has already commanded us to do. Let me pray about this. And you're like, hold on, God said to make disciples. What do you got to pray about? If we're going to protect ourselves, Learn how to listen to your Savior's voice. Right? If we're going to protect ourselves, n- know the difference between God speaking and when somebody is just trying to puff you up. Right? That's how we protect ourselves. And when we do this, when we begin to walk in the obedience of prophecy, Paul says we can do four things to the church. Four things to the church. He says we can strengthen one another, we can encourage one another, we can console one another, and we can bring forth conviction to one another. Let me go through these real quick. He says strengthen one another. He says the gift of prophecy strengthens us by providing us with the spiritual guidance, insight, and direction. The one thing that I love about the gift of prophecy, it comes at a time that you desperately need to hear God's voice. It comes at a time when you are trying to find the stamina to navigate the hardship of being a follower of Jesus. He says when you use your spiritual gifts to build up other people, you give them the strength to carry on. I remember when I was navigating through some stuff, man, one of the old saints said to me, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. I was like, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. Prophecy strengthens us. It, It challenges us. It changes us. And for some instances, it reminds us of who we are and whose we are. Here's the second thing. It encourages us. Prophecy serves to provide affirmation, hope, 
inspiration, lifting the spirit of every believer who are discouraged, weary, facing difficult circumstances, and are just overwhelmed with life. Who needs a prophecy on weariness right now? Who needs a prophecy on loneliness right now? Who just needs some affirmation that God is still interested in you? I know I do. I just need God to remind me you're on the right track. I don't need nobody else's voice. I don't need nothing else. But if God said you're going in the right direction, man, I, I'm good. In fact, when you go through seminary or any, like, intense study, man, you get weary. When Tamara and I was going through seminary, man, we, we felt like we were just playing tag. She worked full-time. I worked part-time. We were both um, homeschooling the children. I was a full-time student with 12 hours, and she was a full-time worker, and we was just tired. We didn't know if God was keeping us here. We didn't know if it was worthy. And I said, God, just give me something little to know that I'm on the right path. I remember going to the, 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 the mailboxes. Y'all don't have the mailboxes now, those who are at DTS. Y'all, we used to have these little mailboxes. And, dude, I was just struggling. I, we didn't have no money. I mean, we was just, I was just struggling. I was sitting there like, Lord, I just need something small to get me through to know that you. And I opened up the mailbox, and it was $200 and one cent. $200 in one cent. I'm like, where did the one cent come from? And then I had to buy some books. Guess how much it cost? $200 in one cent. Prophecy encourages in those most desperate times when we need to hear God's promises, when we need to hear God's renewal, when we need to be motivated. Here's the third thing. It consoles us. It consoles us. Prophecy brings comfort and consoles those who are experiencing grief, pain, or loss. The prophetic message can offer solace, empathy, and assurance of God's presence his love and his care. Some of us have experienced a lot of death this season, amen? Some of us have, and, and when you get, and I'm, I'm 43, about to be 44, December 23rd, just in case you want to give me a gift. But um, when you get, when you have more years behind you than you do in front of you, when people start dying around you, the first question you ask is, how old were they? How old were they? And see, God needs to come along sometimes to remind you that we as followers of Jesus do not grieve as those who don't have hope. We grieve as those who have hope that we will see those who are in Christ again. Prophecy is designed to console us. And here's the last one. Prophecy is designed to bring forth conviction. Conviction. In fact, the text is, and I like, the text is in verse 25, it says, the secrets of his heart will be revealed. 
you do know that you can't hide anything from God. You do know that your privacy is not private to God. You do know even in your dark places, God has the ability to bring light. In fact, God has done his best work in darkness. He created the whole, in the whole world when it was dark. You and I cannot hide from God. So when you walk out of here and be like, man, pastor was speaking directly to me. No, I wasn't. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know nothing about you. See, conviction isn't judgment. Conviction is to bring you to Christ. That's why the text says that the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall down, face down, and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. See, your conviction should bring you to repentance. The Bible says it is the goodness of God that causes people to repent. That when God convicts you, that means you can still hear him. That he is still speaking to you. And when you are convicted, the response is not to run away from God. The response is to draw near to God and fall and worship him. Paul says, the reason why I tell you to seek prophecy is so that we might build up one another. So my question is simple. Every sermon that I've used to this date, I've ended it with a question because you and I have to wrestle with these spiritual truths. And my question is, what do you do with your spiritual gifts? Are you building people up? Are you strengthening yourself so that you might be prepared for the mission of God? What do you do? Tongues is not a bad thing, but tongues does not, use, does not edify the body. And so as we begin to contemplate, I want you to ask yourself that question. I want you to look at yourself and see, are you using your gifts for the body? Or are you using your gifts for your personal gain? And if you are using it for your personal gain, take notice. Turn from that self-seeking way and begin to use your gift to build up the God, to build up the community that God has called you to. Thank you again for listening to the Disciple City Church podcast. Until we meet again, shalom.